Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa know-how. A Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Way early this morning, Brad Higdon shared a major spoiler alert from everyone's favorite hit show, Sad Emojis, to express his feelings about the plot twist and a playlist he made to drown out his sorrows? Dude, oversharing alert. Brad, Geico has something worth sharing with those who haven't defriended you. Like how you could save hundreds on your car insurance at Geico.com. So stop moping about the post-apocalyptic world and start saving in the real world. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code Rotowire when you deposit on DraftKings for a free contest entry today. So, this is our third episode of the regular season. If you've already been listening uh, or listened to the podcast last season, you know we have a rotation of hosts throughout the week. I'm Nick Whalen. I'll be here every Wednesday alongside Rotowire's own Mike Doria. He is our NFL editor. Mike, how's it going today? Not too bad, Nick. Uh, good to be here, Get, getting ready for uh, some preseason action coming up soon, and there's already some uh, some news brewing in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, and once the regular season gets underway, the Wednesday edition of this podcast will focus primarily on injury reports, as that's the day that, that they come out for most teams. Um, so we'll be discussing all the major injuries um, you know, over the next couple months, but for now, 
we're kind of be going off the cuff uh, for the most part. You know, what's what's the big news of the day? What kind of training camp battles are going on? Um, so that's the kind of stuff that we're going to try to cover. And, you know, I think that's kind of what this podcast is going to be about for the next couple of weeks, at least, is training it's, camps it's get underway. It's the freestyle edition. Exactly, exactly. So anything, nothing is out of bounds at this point. Um, just a reminder that the podcast is now available for subscription on both iTunes and Stitcher. So if you do download on either of those platforms, please be sure to leave us a nice review. We, of course, prefer five stars. Um, hopefully there aren't even other, any other options. It should just be five stars, right? No, there's not a six-star option available? I think it's capped at five, but we'll see what we can do about that. Maybe we expand even six or even seven. Yes. So the big news, the biggest news of today, um, you know, is the Arian Foster injury as, it's, as details continue to trickle out from there. He left practice on Monday with what looked to be a pretty severe groin injury. Um, and that's pretty much since been confirmed by the team. He's set to go undergo surgery on Friday. And the expectation at this point, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, is that he's going to be placed on the short-term um, injury reserve list. So basically what that means is he wouldn't be able to return to practice until week six, and he wouldn't be able to return to game action until week nine. So at this point, it looks like Arian Foster is essentially ruled out for just about half of the season, um, which you know pretty much wipes out most of his fantasy value at this point. And you, know, you kind of have to be selective with how you're going to end up using him this year if you do at all. Um, you know, the Texans brought in Pierre Thomas for a visit on Wednesday. He ended up leaving without signing a contract. It's, it's kind of wishy-washy as far as what's going on there. Um, you know, who do you look, as the, look to as the favorite right now to take over for Foster, assuming that the Texans don't make an addition, which, of course, they still could. You have yeah. Alfred Blue, Chris Polk, Jonathan Grimes on the roster. Which of those three guys do you think is most likely to step in? Well, I, t- let's take a step back for a minute here and, and just say that uh, – the exact timetable has not been clearly outlined. It's it's kind of an estimate, and there's a, a general feeling among various reporters that the short-term injured reserve is the ultimate destination for for Foster. Uh, I mean, but anytime you're getting groin surgery at this stage of the summer, it's going to wipe out a significant uh, part of the at least the beginning of the season, and there's there's no guarantee that he's he, he's going to be okay to go in week nine. Uh, I mean, that would be a best-case scenario in the event that he's placed on short-term IR. And then once, let's let's say he comes back in Week 9, what, what what are you getting? What version of Arian Foster are you getting? Like, how how, how can they or will they use him? So I think they the uh, Texans kind of need to uh, approach it with a, a long-term um, plan in mind. And right now, I mean, you, you mentioned the, the top three candidates, the top three in-house candidates, Alfred Blue, who uh, performed adequately at times in in, uh, in place of Foster last year? Jonathan Grimes, definitely around. Uh, uh, Chris Polk, Kenny Hilliard, but I think that uh, ultimately we're, we're going to see some sort of addition either through free agency uh, or trade. And the names that have been talked about, uh, you, you already mentioned Pierre Thomas, who went in apparently had a good visit with them. It looked like he was going to sign. There was there was reports even from the local beat writers saying that the Texans plan to sign him, and then the next thing you know, that's fallen through. I mean, I don't know what other offers he might have. Uh, that, that seemed like a pretty good opportunity for a guy who's been uh, kind of languishing in free agency over the summer, um, especially a guy who catches passes. That would, would seem to be a good fit because that's part of Foster's profile. Um, I mean, there's guys like Steven Jackson's around, Chris Johnson. You don't know what they have left, but... Uh, it might be worth kicking the tires there. And then uh, the one name that, 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 that came to mind is, I, I wonder what Ben Tate's doing these days. Yeah, he, had, he enjoyed a nice run with the uh, Texans 
while back. I mean, of course, the context is different now, but uh, there, there's all kinds of names they could uh, they they could pull up uh, the Google free agent running backs and Willis McKay Willis McGay, he's out there, you know, not, not that he's really an option, but the point is is that it might be someone that we're not even talking about yet, that, or they could make a trade with some team that has a surplus at the position. Tons of opportunities. So right now, Alfred Blue looks like the guy, but that is a very fluid situation. Right, and it's far too early to rush into committing to any of those guys. You know, if you have early drafts coming up, I don't think you want to hit your wagon to Alfred Blue at this point. Like you said, a lot of names out there, a lot of pretty big names, guys who maybe haven't been as productive lately, Chris Johnson, like you said. Um, but guys who are out there and guys who are who have proven to be productive in the past. So it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. I was a little bit surprised that, you know, considering the reports coming out of Houston that Pierre Thomas didn't end up signing. Like you said, he seems like a great fit there, a guy who played really well in New Orleans and, you know, is seemed like a, an ideal guy to replace Arian Foster. It sounds like the money was the issue there. Um, you know, his agent tweeted that Thomas had a great visit with the Titan or with the Texans, excuse me, but the teams were unable to agree to terms. So it sounds like maybe they were asking for a little bit more than Houston was willing to offer. So, you know, maybe the Texans will end up coming up on that, or maybe Thomas will end up coming down on his demands if, if things get it, to that It level. wouldn't surprise me, Nick. I mean, uh, it would appear to be a done deal collapsed, but, uh, yeah, I mean, unless uh, Thomas has other offers that he is seriously weighing, it would it would make sense for him to uh, circle back on the Texans. Um, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a guy who can catch passes passes like I say, so he could he could achieve PPR value at the very least, and um, offer those unknown more unknown quantities that the Texans have in their backfield. You know, they, they could uh, do the early early down work and uh you know you can catch 50 passes easily in that offense right and this this kind of shakes things up a little bit more for a Texans team that we're not really sure what to expect from this season yeah I think Indianapolis is the clear runaway favorite in the AFC South but then not the Jaguars no no and full disclosure (laughs) I'm I'm a Jaguars fan born and raised in Green Bay Wisconsin so I'm sure we'll get we'll probably work in plenty of Jaguars talk on Wednesdays so if, if you don't want to hear that this might not be your day to listen um but no, I mean, I think I think the Texans kind of fall back a little bit now. I think they were definitely a, a rung above the Titans and the Jaguars, who have kind of toiled in the bottom of the AFC South for the last yeah. couple of years. But you know, losing Foster, all of a sudden this team doesn't look like there's much stability on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they have that ferocious uh, defense right. uh, led by JJ Watt, and um, you know, I think that the, the problem there that you identify is that the the lack of stability at quarterback that's uh, you know now pushed to the forefront. The team was definitely hoping that Foster's, you know, stability and productivity was going to at least create, you know, some certainty at the running back position that they could uh, lean on. And now that that's not there, suddenly the uh, the quarterback situation screams uh, crisis. Right. Yeah. And you look at Brian Hoyer, Ryan Mallett, and Tom Savage as the options there, and it, it you want to say Hoyer's probably the favorite at this point, but. Yeah, it's just it's just not a great situation at all. I don't think you really love this offense in the hands of either of those three guys, especially from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, I mean, you don't mind that sort of quarterback situation when it's uh, sort of a QB manager type role, uh, fueling a running back driven offense. On, you know that that rides the coattails of a great defense. But yeah, Foster was definitely more than a small piece of their 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 main game plan there, and that, it's they're scrambling. All right, another team that has issues at the quarterback position is the Buffalo Bills. 
Um, GM Doug Whaley uh, said today in an NFL.com report that the team is, quote, in quarterback purgatory, uh, which is not a situation that you want to be in at this time, uh, you know, with about a month left until the regular season. So not a lot of progress being made right now in Bill's camp as far as that three-way competition between Matt Castle, EJ Manuel, and Tyrod Taylor. Uh, Vic Carucci of the Buffalo News reported on Tuesday that Matt Castle might hold a slight advantage in that race. Um, but it doesn't sound like anything definitive at this point. Um, I think Buffalo is going to wait until the preseason and you know, might even get to week three or week four of the preseason before things become a little bit more clear. Um, I think Matt Castle's the most stable option of those three. I think that's pretty clear. He's the most experienced. Um, you know, EJ Manuel never really played badly, I guess, but he never really played well either, just kind of stagnant in, in his limited time last year. Tyrod Taylor's only thrown 35 NFL passes, and none of them have come in a Bills uniform so a lack of familiarity there. I mean, do you think Matt Castle's in the driver's seat right now if there is such a thing in this race? Uh, driver's seat? Not really. Um, I mean, if, if we have this conversation in a couple of days, E.J. Emanuel could easily have enjoyed a couple of good practices, and, and suddenly the Buffalo beat writers are on his bandwagon. Um, I mean, he was drafted number 16 overall in 2013. Every, everyone knows that Buffalo was you know, reaching for a quarterback in in that slot. Uh, it wasn't a great year to draft a quarterback in the in, in the first round, and probably put a lot of pressure on him. That uh, you know, that it created some possibly unrealistic expectations for him to produce right away. And uh, like you mentioned, he he hasn't always been terrible. He he's d- definitely displayed some potential. But um, at least with Matt Castle, he, he's thirty three year, years old. He's got some experience. Uh, they definitely have a nice set of um, you know weapons on the offensive side of the ball that they've. I would I was going to say quietly gathered, but nothing's quiet when uh, within the context of a uh, Rex Ryan coach team. But uh, I mean, you look at the the names that uh, that are that are on that roster. You got Sammy Watkins, you got Percy Harvin, um, Robert Woods. Uh, that's 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 your uh, top three at wideout. Um, you got. Yeah, brought in Charles Clay, gave him some serious bucks to Lashawn McCoy, obviously. Yeah, and Lashawn McCoy, uh, who uh, once upon a time caught ninety passes for the Eagles. So, those are some guys who can catch ball- balls, and uh, you know whoever gets that job, um, as long as they don't falter, they could actually have some fantasy utility. But uh, to your point, um, no one has really pulled away. It's been more, more of a who's performed less badly so far. Exactly, and it's a shame because this Buffalo team you know, was really good last season outside of the quarterback position. You know, they're yeah, one game def- away from a wild card yeah. berth, top 12 in point differential, the great defense. Like you said, a lot of playmakers on the outside, something that Buffalo really hasn't had in a while. You know, They're finally starting to stockpile offensive firepower, and you, know, you really can't do too much when you don't have a quarterback to get them the ball. Um, do you think they pulled the plug a little too early last year on E.J. Manuel? Well, I mean, given their... Um Given the alternative, uh, maybe it was best to get him out <laughs> at that time. But um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a situation that uh, I mean they're, they're 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 they kind of have the same sort of situation as the Texans in that they have a great defense. And um, actually, I I do, I, I do think that in general, especially given the Foster situation, the Bills have much you know much better pieces in place around the QB. So uh, capable quarterback play is all. Buffalo really needs to contend, you know, to get to that nine and seven range. But uh, if if either of those guys surpasses expectations, and I, I wouldn't count on it, uh, you're looking at a 
10 and 16, maybe knocking on the, the door of the playoffs. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. Um, it, there could be some surprises there, but it's kind of strange that Buffalo, they dotted their I's and crossed their T's everywhere else except for quarterback. And it's a, it's a, it's a total, uh, you know, it's a big wild card right now for that team. Which of those three guys do you personally want to see, just from an entertainment perspective? I think as a big Tyrod Taylor fan coming out of college, um, I kind of want to see what he offers. You know, he's never really been given a shot at the NFL level quite yet, so I'd like to see him at least you know, have a chance to, to start a game or two. But you know, from the Bills' perspective, I'm not sure if they're going to be willing to take that risk. Well, there's always the, uh, the instinct to go with the underdog, to go with the, uh, the sort of more unknown quantity, the, the guy, the untapped potential guy, and, uh, and that's, that's, that's Taylor. Um, E.J. Manuel, you know, has has some good skills, uh, and I think he's his ceiling is definitely higher than Matt Castle's. Uh, I don't want to totally uh, diss Matt Castle because he's at times performed capably at the NFL level, including uh, once upon a time when uh, Tom Brady tore his ACL, led them to 11 wins. Uh, so, you know, in the right offense, coached correctly with uh, de- decent weapons, he he. he He's a decent manager, but uh, I'm not seeing a ton of upside there. Whereas the other two guys that are competing with him both both have a little bit more untapped potential. Yeah, yeah. I think Castle maybe not from a we don't know what this guy can do perspective, but he has a little bit more potential as far as you know. He, he's I think he's a more stable option. You know, I think if you're if you're the Bills and you're looking to make the playoffs this year, which I think they are, I think you know you might be more inclined to go with Castle, a guy who you know, might not have the potential to, to explode and get you to 11 wins. And I'm not saying that's what Tyrod Taylor might be able to do, might be able to do, but you know, I think Castle is the safest option. You know, I think if you want to win nine games and try to compete for that wild card berth, I think Castle is the direction you go in. If you want to maybe test your upside and see if you can do better than that, maybe you give Taylor a shot. Maybe you give EJ Manuel another shot. I mean, you know, Tyrod Taylor is a little bit similar to Michael Vick in that, you know, they're both mobile. They can throw outside the pocket. I mean, both Virginia Tech guys, obviously. And, and Rex Ryan has some familiarity with Vic, and, and he was willing to give him a shot in New York. Obviously, it didn't work out like they planned. Um, but you know, like you said, there's a lot of options here, and this is something to definitely watch throughout camp and especially over the next couple of weeks as we approach preseason games. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of stating the obvious, Nick, but I think that at least part of this battle is going to be determined just through something random like who gets injured, you know. Uh, you got three guys – all of them getting hit in practice in the preseason. And it wouldn't surprise me if uh, somebody tweaks a hamstring or, you know, I, I think the the battle will play out on the field largely, but there, there's going to be probably one, one or two variables that we haven't yet considered. And injury is obviously one of the main variables in any sort of NFL job battle that's undetermined at this stage. So another guy in that 2013 draft class, along with EJ Manuel, is Tavon Austin. Um, he's really disappointed so far. Coming out of West Virginia, kind of billed as that Percy Harvin type of guy. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. Um, great in open space. And you know, only 31 catches, no touchdowns last season. Ended up rushing more than he, than, than he received. Uh, 36 rushes for 224 yards and two touchdowns. So decent value there, um, you know, considering he's not a full-time running back. Um, you know, Jeff Fisher came out and said on Wednesday that Tavon Austin is primed for a breakout year under Nick Foles. And he didn't necessarily say that they're going to be using him any differently. He just thought, you know, with Nick Foles, a taller quarterback, a guy who's going to be able to get the ball to him more quickly, get him out there in space, he thinks that, you know, Austin is going to be in more of a featured role this season. Um, I guess, you know, from our perspective, do you buy that? Do you think Austin's worth maybe more of a flyer this year than he was last year? 
Well, I actually thought that last year he was going to uh, have some sort of uh, bounce back from his uh, rather disappointing rookie season, but uh, there was there was different variables there, including Bradford getting hurt. Uh, I mean, their their quarterback situation last year could not have been more troubling. And um, I mean, the, the context of his uh, quarterback this year, at least there's a healthy guy who who they like, who's going to start from week one. Um, their running back situation is quite interesting too. I mean, I don't think that Gurley is going to step in and and be that guy. But down the road, they're going to have a very viable rushing attack. And then suddenly, weapons like Austin, uh, you know, they're going to have a little bit more freedom and a little bit more space because they're going to have to focus on Gurley. Um, the the guys on the outside, that's yet to be determined. I mean, they get, they have Quick and Kenny Britt. Both players that can do some damage, but I, you know, I'm not sold on that just yet. Quick is coming back from a pretty serious injury, and Kenny Britt is Kenny Britt. Yeah, and do you think you know this improved St. Louis running game or what we expect to be improved once Gurley's back? And you know, obviously they have Trey Mason. Yeah, coming and, he, back. and Trey Mason actually is is pretty solid and capable. So that it's not that their running back situation is a problem, but like the the way the the Cardinals aggressively drafted Gurley they have major plans for him clearly you know number 10 overall even though he was come coming off a serious injury uh it wouldn't surprise me if he makes an impact I don't know by about week six or something um he he may or may not go on pup um and even if he doesn't start the season on the POP list um I wouldn't expect him to have a major role out of the gate Right, and where I was going with that is, you know, Tavon Austin, like I mentioned, had a little bit more value on the ground than through the air last season. And do you think the addition of Gurley and Trey Mason kind of starting fresh as probably the number one back starting week one, do you think that's going to limit Tavon Austin's touches as a running back and he's going to be used just more as a receiver and then, of course, as a punt returner? Yeah, I think so. But, uh, I mean, there's they're uh, going to try to get the ball in his hands, and the best way to do that is either on special teams or in the passing game. And uh, there's certainly much room for improvement in terms of, you know, his targets uh, in terms of fantasy. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he got to the 50 or 60 catch range. That's, that might even be conservative. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about Tom Brady. Everyone's probably sick of hearing about Tom <laughs> Brady and, and the Deflategate scandal at this point, but it is and, something we need to touch on. And I guess it's time for the, the full disclosure here. I'm a Patriots fan, have been forever. Long suffering. Uh, when's the last time they won the Super Bowl? I don't want to hear this. This is this is just you're in the complete opposite situation that I am. I have to like apologize to people that I'm a Jaguars fan, and and you just get to bask in the glory of four Super Bowls. So yeah, but uh, nobody likes the Patriots, and and, I guess, <laughs> and nobody uh, likes the Jaguars either. <laughs> I guess the, sh- the the shadow falls on their mm-hmm. their uh, their fans as well. But uh, at least I can say that I've been a Patriots fan since I was a kid, and it's not a bandwagon thing. Exactly, and, and same here. So maybe we are in a little bit more similar situation than I thought, where every, everyone hates the Jaguars for one reason and everyone hates the Patriots for a very different reason. Um, but obviously the big news here is the four-game suspension. Um, Brady is expected to miss those first four games after the appeal was upheld. So in steps Jimmy Garoppolo, and you know he's, he's going to be the starter for those games. Is it worth taking a flyer on Garoppolo for those first four weeks, you know, especially if you have Tom Brady? Is it worth trying to handcuff him and just kind of experiment with the kind of value you might get from Garoppolo when he's surrounded with weapons like Gronk? Yeah, I mean, um, right now, because of the suspension and, and just the fact that it's it's undetermined 
whether or not there's going to be an injunction granted, whether or not there's even a chance that Brady could actually uh, not miss those four games to start the season. I mean, you, you have to, for now, assume that he's not going to play those first four games. And if if something changes, well, that's, that's a good bonus. But, um, I mean, Garoppolo was drafted for the simple reason that if uh, Brady ever got hurt, they would have a a, a talented young backup to, to fall back on, to, to groom, and then potentially um, down the road, if, if Brady keeps on ticking, you know, maybe they can they can deal him. But, uh, you know, f- from the Patriots' point of view, um, being able to audition and showcase Garoppolo is probably not a bad thing. They, they, they find out what they have in him, and uh, if he performs well, then, well, they know they have a nice plan B, and, um, you know, they might have a nice trade chip down the road. But, uh in terms of his fantasy value out of the gate, um, yeah, I mean uh, they're they're not going to scrap their their entire game plan because Brady is uh, unavailable. Uh, in fact, I think you know with guys like Gronkowski and, and Edelman, uh, he's going to have some nice you know high volume targets to to, to lean on. Uh, Blunt is uh, suspended for the first game, so uh, you know they're they're going to have to pass a little bit and. Um, yeah, we'll have to see, but I, I mean, it depends on uh, where you get him. But obviously, because Brady is suspended, uh, his uh, draft value has been suppressed. So, you, so those who are drafting Brady are typically getting him at a fairly bargain rate. And um, whether it's Garoppolo or not, you you need to have sort of a uh, fallback plan there. And why not Garoppolo late is as good as any. So we talked about a guy like Gronk kind of helping Garoppolo, and it's so huge to have a big target like that that you can rely on, especially in the red zone. Flipping that on its head a little bit, do you feel like this is going to impact Gronk's value negatively, not having Tom Brady throwing to him for four weeks? Not at all. Uh, I mean, I just think that... Uh, <laughs> in your completely unbiased opinion. Well, uh, yes, I do have a Gronk fathead <laughs> in my office, but uh, I just feel that uh, you know, for a young quarterback out there, those two weapons that I mentioned, Gronkowski and Edelman, they're 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 going to be his safety blankets. Gronkowski is obviously the, the the big red zone threat and target, and more importantly, he's healthy. And this is the healthiest he's been over the last few off seasons. And and I just think he's primed for a monster year. I mean, not that he didn't have a monster year last year, but uh, if you're the Patriots and you want to put Jimmy Garoppolo in a position to succeed, what are you going to do? Throw to Gronk. Say, hey, Gronk, uh, here's the play. Get open. Catch the ball. And, uh, you know, don't spike it too hard. So from a team perspective, and, you know, again, you're, you're a Patriots guy, so you probably follow this team as close as anyone I know. Are you worried about them? You know, what if they start out 1-3? and three? What if Garoppolo isn't ready yet? They fall, they fall to Pittsburgh week one, Buffalo, or, you know, they host Buffalo week two. Jacksonville week three. I mean, who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, the Brady, or excuse me, the Gabbard, <laughs> Gabbard, the Bortles Garoppolo duel that we've been waiting for for yes. years, um, and, and then Dallas in, in week four. Um, you know, are we? Are you worried about them falling behind and, and ending up, you know, in a hole that Tom Brady might not be able to dig them out of? Not really. Um, I mean, Bill Belichick uh, probably his best trait as a coach is putting his players in the best position to succeed. And the fact that he was able to get a, an 11-5 and five season out of Matt Castle uh, is, is, illustrates that point pretty well. So while I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I expect the, 
the Patriots to be unimpacted by any sort of Brady absence. Uh, it would surprise me if they fell to one and three or or, or zero and four. You know, obviously, worst, obviously that'd be the worst case scenario. But um, they, I believe they started off two and two last year, and um, uh, don't have the stat in front of me. But I believe that uh, in their Super Bowl championship years, I think I think they may have been two and two, maybe three of those. Um, in any case, uh, whether or not that's completely accurate or not, the Patriots have shown you know, year after year, the ability to come back from a, a less than stellar start. You know, they've, they've just been reeling off division crowns since you're, you know, in elementary school. That is true. Um, and, and yeah, I think, you know, as long as they can avoid going 0-4 over those first four games, I think they're, and even if they do go 0-4, they're the Patriots, and it would be silly to count them out. So not a lot to worry about there. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where Tom Brady ends up going in drafts. You know, it's a, it's a tough spot to predict right now. Well, I've seen him just go two or three rounds lower than uh let's say the top six quarterbacks or so and that's every every draft that i've been in or mock draft where he was selected everyone's like oh yeah good nice value uh that might correct itself you know down the road but uh when you're gonna get 12 games out of brady um he's definitely worth a you know solid mid-round pick yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I think he's going to come back with a vengeance starting that week six when, when he's able to come back. Um, a couple quick hit injury notes came through on Wednesday. Tevin Coleman has a hamstring injury. He's expected to return to practice soon. Doesn't look like anything serious there. Um, how do you like the rookie out of Indiana in, in that Atlanta backfield that also features Devontae Freeman? Well, it's, uh, it's, it seems to be a pretty close battle now. Uh, I mean, I, Freeman has the uh, the experience advantage, obviously, and and perceived uh to be the front runner at the moment but uh i i hardly think that that's been determined so as long as coleman's injury isn't of the lingering nature he'll have a chance to uh you know truly compete for that uh, assignment and uh he was number two in the nation last year in yardage behind uh, melvin gordon he, quite quite a productive back so i i wouldn't count him out um and yeah, definitely, de- I definitely like him, and I, it wouldn't surprise me if he overtakes Freeman down the road. Rashad Perriman of the Baltimore Ravens missed practice again on Wednesday, and he's expected to miss a couple more days. He fell awkwardly on the knee last week. Again, doesn't look to be anything serious there; more of a bruise issue than a, than a muscle issue. Um, so, you know, probably nothing that's going to hold the first rounder out of any preseason games. Um, you know, he's another guy that's pretty intriguing. I, I think he surprised a lot of people by ending up in the first round of the draft. Um, and he obviously slots in alongside Steve Smith as kind of that 1-1A one, one uh, receiver tandem in Baltimore. Steve Smith is 36 years old. Um, you know, he doesn't miss games. He played all 16 games last year. He's played at least 14 games in every year since 2005. So there's really no reason to expect him to get hurt. But like I said, he's 36 years old. He's coming to the end of his career. Um, you know, By the end of the season, is Brashad Perriman going to be the number one guy for Joe Flacco? Well, I mean... I. Uh... I don't necessarily think it's a question of Perryman overtaking Smith so much as is is uh, Perryman capable of essentially replacing Tory Smith, which uh, that's actually going to be a lot easier for radio broadcasters to explain what's going on in the, the Ravens passing game when both starters aren't named Smith. But that's that's beside the point. But uh, I mean, I do think he is the sort of player who profiles well as a replacement for Tory Smith. He's got the size and speed to be kind of a deep and red zone threat and um yeah there's there's other guys in the mix but I do think that he was brought in 
to be a direct and immediate replacement for Torrey Smith. Yeah, and like you mentioned, the, the combination of size and speed there is, I think, what propelled him into the first round. I think he's going to make a really good player. Marquise Lee of the Jacksonville Jaguars left practice early with a knee injury. Um, not much is known about the situation right now. It doesn't look to be anything that you know that the team thought was immediately serious, but he's a guy that really can't shake that injury-prone tag, and he's, he's been dealing with injuries since his college days at USC. He missed several games last season. Um, yeah, and Lee is a guy that the Jaguars are hoping can kind of emerge alongside Alan Hearns. They were both um, second-round picks in 2014, and you know both guys have dealt with injuries. And well, I, yeah, th- I think you mean Robinson, right? Yes. Who did I say? Uh, Hearns. Hearns. Well, Hearns too. I mean, Hearns yeah, came on. He yeah. was not. He was not a second-round pick. Allen Robinson is who I mean. Yes. But yeah, the the the, the two Allens and Marquise Lee are, are the the which two are going to be the guys. You're right. Uh, exactly. Question that I was about to ask you there. So which two are going to be the guys? That is a great question. I think I think Marquise Lee and Allen Robinson are the two most talented players. I think there's no question about that. Robinson's a great athlete as a leaper. Lee is more of a speed agility type of guy. Um, and you know, I think. With those two coming in at the same time, I think they want to develop them alongside each other as you know the kind of the almost a Isaac Bruce Tory Holt type of type of scenario going forward. And obviously, it would, it's pretty unlikely that they ever reach that kind of level. But you know, when you're bringing along two high potential young guys at once, I think that's the situation you hope emerges. And you know, last season there were quarterback issues, there were injury issues, and you know, it's just it's tough to see this happen already. To Lee. he dealt with with uh, an ankle injury earlier that caused him to miss a lot of yeah, OTAs. Let's not overreact to this, but it seems like it's a recurring issue it with is. him. It is. And exactly. And there's, again, there's no reason to overreact. You know, this isn't something that looks like it's going to cost him any games right now. But, you know, considering all the injuries that he's had since his college days, it's just not encouraging for and Jacksonville. Me, me, meanwhile, Alan Hearns is still around. He kind of came out of nowhere exactly. last year. Helped, helped me in some leagues. Mm-hmm. Definitely nice uh, in-season pickup there. Uh, what about what about the... Uh, the youngster, the slot guy, Green, what do you think about him? I really do like Rashad Green. I was really thrilled when Jacksonville was able to pick him up in the draft. Um, I, I was a little bit surprised that he fell. You know, he wasn't a guy who's going to measure in well, I guess. You know, production-wise, he was up there with anybody in college football. Jameis Winston's go-to guy for the last two years. Um, sure-handed, he's a great route runner. Just not the type of guy who's going to blow scouts away in a combine type of setting. So I was thrilled when he fell to Jacksonville. I think that was a great pickup. I, I think he's kind of a sleeper. I mean, no one's really right. talking about him. Um Maybe not, you know, in standard leagues, but in PPR leagues, he could be a nice little bargain at the end of the end game. It may take a few weeks or so to for that to pan out, but why not? Yeah, and the key with a team like Jacksonville is going to be the quarterback play. You know, um, it's, it's if Blake Bortles can be efficient, if he cannot turn the ball over as much as he did last season, then the value of a guy like Robinson, Hearns, Lee, Green, their values shoot up. So. Yeah, as long as Bortles can take the next step, I think the receivers and and you know by way their fantasy numbers will end up kind of following suit. And, and they but, should have a more stable ground game with Yeldon. Yes, yes exactly. And you know we can we can talk Jaguars ground game if we want. Um, yeah, I think I think Yeldon. They finally have a guy who they can look to and say you know you're going to be the featured back. And I think they've been a little bit reluctant to kind of give him that title. But you don't draft a guy in the second round in the high second round to come in and, and compete with the likes of Toby Gerhardt and Denard Robinson. So, yeah, there's even been talk that Gerhardt might not even make the team. And that wouldn't be surprising. You know, they brought him in as a free agent last season. Obviously, he floundered, and, you know, he had his opportunity to kind of take that job, and within a few weeks it was pretty clear that that wasn't going to work out. And he's another guy who injuries were an issue, but it, it kind of seems like I don't know that they're necessarily ready to move on, but I think they're ready to move on from the idea of Toby Gerhardt as an every down yeah, back. Yeah, I don't really know what the off the top of my head what the cap implications are there. That might factor into it. But I, I like Denard Robinson as kind of a complimentary guy. He, he did okay 
when thrust into a featured role last year, but clearly they identified that as a main need, and that's why they drafted Yeldon. Right, and they have Gerhardt under contract for two more years, uh, but it, you know it's only a combined five and a half million, and I'm not sure off the top of my head what exactly that is guaranteed. So it wouldn't be a. Huge... That's what you make, right? So a little bit less than that, a little bit. Not, it's right in that range, though. Um, less guaranteed money, that's yes. for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, more uh, a couple other injury notes from today: Lashawn McCoy, soreness and swelling in his toe, but Rex Ryan said he should be back on the practice field within a few days. Obviously, they want to avoid anything more serious like a turf toe. Yeah, type I think of we pretty developing. much went over what Buffalo's problems were, and McCoy shouldn't be one of them. No, I don't think no, there's I think anything he's, really to worry about. Right, the running back position is as solid as it, as it could be there. A uh, place where it's not quite so solid, Dallas. Darren McFadden has a hamstring injury. Jason, That's a shocker. <laughs> right, exactly. Jason Garrett said McFadden is still a couple days away from practicing. I think everybody kind of saw this coming. He's another guy that just injury after injury after injury since he's come into the league. Joseph Randall projects as the starter there right now. Lance Dunbar's in the mix. But it, it would be interesting. You know, McFadden is still, despite really not producing at the NFL level at all, I mean, he's had his flashes in Oakland. But he comes into probably the best offensive line in the league, and he's still a name. You know, a guy yeah. who almost won the Heisman Trophy is one of you know one of the greatest college football running backs statistically. You know, the last 10, 20 years, he, he did have a couple bursts of production there mm-hmm. with 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 the uh, the Raiders. But I think over the last three years, he's averaged a combined three point three yards per carry. Right, and, it, and I mean that was pretty much to be fair. It was a brutal offense, but. He wasn't. He wasn't making nothing out of. He wasn't making something out of nothing in that offense, whereas the the key to success in the working behind that Cowboys offensive line is, you know, if they give you a hole, you run through it. And uh, I think that if he's healthy, he could. But I, it's just he just has too much of a track record on, on that front for me to really trust him. Any any anything you get out of him is going to be a bonus. And Randall does appear to be the the, the leader in that job competition. Uh, it's kind of interesting that the Cowboys didn't really aggressively pursue other f- key free agents or even address the position, um, you know, in the draft. So they, uh, they, they have some plan. We're not really sure what that plan <laughs> is right now, but uh, I mean, I mean, uh, the- guys that went to the same university as the owner, that's the plan. Yes, exactly. And- yeah. And I mean, as a fan, you kind of, I want to see Darren McFadden succeed so badly, you know, and like I said, he's still a name, you know, when it's, when your team signs Darren McFadden or is rumored to be interested in Darren McFadden, you want to read about it because you still, you still picture him as that guy who was running all over defenses yeah. at Arkansas. And even though he's probably six years, seven years removed from that at this point, there's still kind of that sliver of hope that in the right situation, he could be back to the guy he was. Yeah. You know, I, I have filed away in my memory banks, like old clips of him, if McFadden enters training camp healthy, and then they they show a couple of nice runs from the year before. Yep. Uh, but then I cover the NFL and I do the injury report. And uh, I mean, if if I have to get one of those uh, wrist braces for carpal uh, tunnel syndrome, there, Darren McFadden it has uh, contributed to that due to the large amount of. Uh, updates that i've done on him over the years yeah it'd be interesting to see who the leader is i wonder in in total like updates per year i know you said you wrote what five or six foster updates over the last two days alone yeah probably more by now but yeah there's there were certain players that uh were just regulars on the injury report and uh you know mcfadden's one of them definitely uh actually arian foster showed up on a lot of injury reports uh you know part of the reason that i'm i'm less confident of him bouncing back even if he does return at midseason is that he missed 14 games over the last four years and uh 
was, you know, he's always on the injury report. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's there's definitely some guys that uh, if you go through their RotoWire update history, missed practice Wednesday, limited limited Thursday, listed as questionable Friday. Yeah, and it's never good news to see that, especially with a guy like Foster. A um, couple more injury updates. Alshon Jeffrey was back at practice Wednesday. He was dealing with a minor shoulder injury. That doesn't look to be an issue. And Kevin White, the rookie um, out of Louisville, first rounder, he expects to be back to practice soon. He's dealing with a minor shin injury. Um, again, doesn't look to be anything that will impact him going forward. Yeah, I mean, he's been out for a while, but, I mean, obviously they drafted him for a reason, um, essentially to replace uh, Brandon Marshall. And, frankly, they don't have really too many other options that they could that they could uh, turn to. So I, I think, uh, you know, he's, according to today's report, he's uh, – he really wants to get back back to practice ASAP, but uh, you know the coaching staff is, you know, erring on the side of caution there so that it doesn't linger. But uh, that's that's an in- interesting one-two punch if uh, Cutler can engineer any sort of bounce back. Yeah, did you like that selection of Kevin White? Um, you know, seventh overall uh, in this in this past year's draft. I think that Chicago had so many other needs that I think a pick was a little bit was criticized, especially for his highlights. They took him, you know. Maybe you could grab another receiver if you trade down later in the round. And, you know, we saw Elshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall play alongside each other. And while it was fun to watch, it didn't necessarily translate to wins on the field. So do you think that was maybe the best use of that pick? Or is that just kind of Chicago grasping at straws and hoping to, you know, rejuvenate an offense that doesn't really have a reliable quarterback? Well, I think for, uh, for quite a while, as the draft approached, uh, Amari Cooper was definitely the, the wide out that people – Agreed was the the, the, the cream of the uh, the crop uh, in that draft class at that position, but then as the draft you know got closer, people started uh, saying, well, you know, maybe uh, maybe Kevin White is is right up there with him. So uh, obviously the Bears bought into that, and they they clearly determined that maybe for all for all we know they liked him better than Cooper, but uh, beyond Cooper, he was clearly their favorite pick because. Um, if they had waited, as you pointed out, there's there were some decent guys that were selected later in the first round. But th- that was a yes. They do have plenty of uh, of um, voids that they need to fill, especially on defense. But like when you lose Marshall, and there's not really a, a, a great assortment of receivers behind Alshon Jeffrey, you you have to be slightly aggressive. So they they made that move, and I I prefer that they be aggressive drafting than be aggressive in overpaying. Uh, some you know wide receiver for last year's stats that he's unlikely to uh, to merit uh, you know that 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 kind of money. Yeah, initially now as as training camps are just getting underway, if you had to choose Kevin White or Amari Cooper, which one would you choose as far from a fantasy value perspective? Oh, Amari Cooper. I mean, clearly uh, he is gonna. He's. I don't think it's you know real big mystery that he is being looked at as a guy that is going to lead that team in targets and and their at least their passing offense is going to run through him i mean it's a lot of pressure for a rookie but uh that was a need and um i think he's up for it yeah and you know there's kind of two ways to look at that you know kevin white is going to play opposite alshon jeffrey and so you can look at that and say well jeffrey's going to end up getting most of the targets but he'll also be getting most of the attention from defenses and i think that's kind of my worry with cooper is that they don't really have many other options. You know, they added Michael Crabtree, 
Um, but other than that, you know, it, it's going to be Cooper as the number one guy, and they've made that clear. And I think Derek Carr is going to be looking for him as much as possible. So, yeah, I guess it worries me a little bit that he's going to be the focal point of defenses. And, you know, if you're going up against a team that has a really good number one quarterback or cornerback, excuse me, um, you know, they might end up just kind of being able to take advantage of him being a rookie and kind of shut him down. Is that something that worries you at all? Uh, to some degree, but I, I think that uh, Derek Carr is going to have to, you know, grow with a young wideout, and uh, that's that's the plan there. Uh, there's been some decent buzz about Michael Crabtree, but you know, I'll believe it when I see it. He uh, you have to give him somewhat uh, benefit of the doubt. I mean, he had that Achilles injury, and he came back and played last year, but. Uh, Definitely uh, wasn't as explosive as he was in 2012 when he put up the, the big numbers. So there's a chance that, that he could emerge as a viable threat for that team and maybe take some of the pressure off Cooper. Wouldn't count on it, but not out of the question. And then uh, Latavius Murray, a um, bit of a small sample size there, but he's an intriguing uh, running back prospect. They could actually have a running game this year. Yeah, and I think the the Raiders are kind of in that same category as Jacksonville, like we talked about before. It's gonna they're gonna ride or die by how much Derek Carr improves, and you know Blake Bortles is kind of in the same situation for for the Jaguars. So you know if those guys don't take the next step, then you know I don't think Amari Cooper is going to be putting up the numbers that that a lot of people hope. Well, I mean the the Raiders last year started off with kind of a uh, veteran uh, committee running back uh, dart situation, and you know. Murray's unproven, but there, you, you do feel like there's some, some promise and upside, some youthful, you know, there's a youthful ceiling that hasn't been attained by this young player. So ra- rather than, like, trying to, like, get something out of Maurice Jones-Drew, you know? Yeah, exactly. Football season is just a few weeks away at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com is America's favorite one-week fantasy football site where you can win enormous cash prizes every week. Last season, eight players won a million dollars in one day just playing fantasy football. Don't just dominate your season-long leagues in 2015, but also play one-week fantasy at DraftKings.com. Head over to DraftKings.com now. Enter promo code ROTOWIRE for free entry. DraftKings.com, bigger events, bigger winnings, bigger millionaires. Enter ROTOWIRE for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That is DraftKings.com. All right, so we wanted to go through some of the initial... DraftKings bargains um, as they released their values for week one contest. I believe those came out on Friday of last week already. So and we've had a few days to kind of take a look at them. Um, a few surprises. Um, you know, I, a lot of the, the big name players, Aaron Rodgers, Andrew Luck, are right at the top of the quarterback salaries as we would expect. But, you know, at each position, there are kind of some guys who are maybe a little bit higher than we expected and some that are a little bit lower. Um, you know, one guy we talked about already was Alfred Blue. And he's way down at I think it was thirty six hundred. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of a situation where you look at Arian Foster, probably not going to be available for Week One, almost definitely at this point. Um, so you know, if Alfred Blue ends up being the guy, that's a huge steal there because that number is not going to change before right. Week One. So if you can pounce on that, and you know, maybe other guys that might end up being injured, kind of look at who might step into those situations. That's where you can really find some value, especially you know, yeah, before with, the, those with these prices uh, locked in for a rather long time before the. They, they actually start playing the games. Uh, as long as you monitor certain situations, you, you can definitely head into week one with some, you know, advantages if you're up to speed on everything. And, you know, right now, as you, as you, as you mentioned, Alfred Blue would be the presumed favorite to start for the, the uh, Texans. And as of today, I believe uh, 
Foster was listed at 7,600 and, and Blue at 3,600. So there, there you get a starting running back for 3,600, which allows you to spend additional cash uh, at other positions that are a little bit harder to fill. I mean, like th- this year, just like last year, I- I'm, I'm always trying to get myself a good tight end. I'm always trying to save money at other positions so that I can get, you know, Gronkowski or maybe Jimmy Graham, uh, where I feel that there's a pretty big drop off after the first two or three tight ends this year, as, as was the case last year. So anytime you can sneak in a bargain at one of the other positions, it's great. Yeah, we can start with tight end since you brought that up. Um, you know, we have a, a, a little bit of a list here of guys that you know we wanted to talk about. Is there anyone in particular that stood out to you as having either a an abnormally high salary or abnormally low salary for week one? Well, I mean, uh, because the the contest that we're speaking of uh, doesn't include the uh, the opening game that involves Pittsburgh and the Patriots, Gronkowski is not. Uh, I don't see his salary listed there. So the top tight end is uh, Jimmy Graham at fifty six hundred. And, uh, you know, I, I like that. It remains to be seen exactly how the uh, Seahawks will use him, especially uh, with, you know, Marshawn Lynch um, being such a focal point uh, in close. But uh, I, I, it's not hard to imagine Jimmy Graham having a great year for the, for the Seahawks. But then I look down the list, and I see some players that uh, have some uh, have, uh, value written over them, at least based on the salaries that, uh, that are listed here. Ladarius Green, 3500 um, Gates is suspended to start the year, so that's a potential bargain early on. Uh, Safarian Jenkins from the Bucks, thirty-four hundred. I mean, I think it's time for him to. Uh, either Jameis Winston has three six-five targets. The, the Evans and Jacksons at wideout, and then uh, Safarian Jenkins, and uh, I, th- I think he's ready to uh, to be a nice red zone weapon for that team. And then you look down the list, you see uh, Vernon Davis, thirty-one hundred. Well, he was a big disappointment last year, but. Uh, you know, he's forced to do more blocking than usual. Um, Eric Ebron, you know, number one pick last year, 2,900. Wouldn't surprise me if he emerges this year somewhat. And then all the way down, Max Williams, the uh, Baltimore tight end. Um, someone has to catch pa- catch passes at the uh, position, and uh, and I think he's a bit of a sleeper. Yeah, I really like the Max Williams pick there. Um, I thought that was a steal for them toward the end of the second round. He was probably the best player on that Minnesota team for the last couple of years. An unbelievable athlete for the position, 6'4", 250, just prototypical size. Um, you know, and especially with the inexperience that they have at receiver. You know, if Brashad Perriman maybe takes a little bit to get acquainted, I think Max Williams could end up being the second or third target in that offense when all is said and done. So I think that's a really low salary for a guy that's probably going to step in as a starter right away, and it might take a couple of weeks for – you know, the national people to get acquainted with who he is and for his value to end up rising. Yeah, I mean, there's the two approaches. The one is just pay for, pay whatever it takes to get Gronk or Graham every week. Mm-hmm. But if you uh, if you want to mix and match, uh, there's definitely some bargains to be found at the bottom, and, and, and he's one that I that I noticed right off. Um, and, and, and there's others, but, uh, yeah, that th- those are the two approaches you can do. You, you, you can try to get the blue chippers at the top of a position that you think are – elite for one reason or another perhaps it's a matchup or just that there's a talent drop off at the position which is what I perceive to be the case at tight end and just uh look for uh bargains at the other positions right and looking at these salaries there's kind of three tiers at the top you know like, like you said Gronk is not included so we don't know exactly what his salary would be but you can assume it's going to be a little bit higher than Graham's at least a couple hundred maybe even more considering how you know head and shoulders above everyone he was last year and then you have Jimmy Graham and Greg Olson Graham's at 5600 Greg Olson's at 5,300, and then there's a $500 difference before you get into a group that includes 
Travis Kelsey, Julius Thomas, Martellus Bennett, um, Jason Witten, and, and so on. I do like Travis Kelsey as a, as a breakout guy. And, yeah, he's, uh, he's 800 bucks less than uh, Jimmy Graham there. So it's uh, something to consider. Yeah, Julius. yeah. Another guy I wanted to ask you about was Julius Thomas, you know, the biggest free agent slash for the Jaguars. Um, you know, kind of adding a, a primary weapon with, with some experience to that offense that is mostly young. Um, yeah, he's, he's the fourth highest guy on this list right now, uh, below Graham, Olsen, and Kelsey. That, that feels like, uh, I feel like, like they're baiting. feels like it's Peyton Manning uh, residue on that ranking. Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> DraftKings is maybe baiting people into to taking Thomas that high because there's a pretty significant downgrade going from Peyton Manning to year two Blaine Gabbert. I keep saying Blaine Gabbert, Blake Bortles. I need to just get purge Blaine Gabbert's name out of my, out of my head. Blake Bortles in year two is not going to be, uh, it's not going to be as comfortable yeah, he's, for Thomas. He's someone up some other team's problem now. I, I can't even believe I'm saying this. I, I kind of swore off ever even saying that name again a, a couple of years ago, but, uh, but here we are. Do you he, like the the quarterback whose name shall not be spoken on this podcast? Yes, from here on out, no more uh, of the B word. Um, do you like Julius Thomas in this Jaguars offense? I mean, I, obviously, I think we can both agree that this is maybe a little bit too high uh, as far as you know. DraftKings basically saying he's the fourth best option at tight end to start the season. I think we need to see kind of how he fits. And yeah, it's a, this basically this season could either you know validate him as a great player or it could kind of expose him as a product of a great system. Uh, you, you you hit it. you hit the the uh, the point right right there. It, 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 was it Peyton Manning? Was it the fact that he had Demarius Thomas uh, deflecting attention? Um, I mean, the Jaguars definitely needed a tight end upgrade, um, and we've already kind of discussed their receiver situation. And none of those guys really strike me as elite red zone type options. And that's that's where Thomas did excel at times with the Broncos. Uh, another guy that uh, seemed to be nicked up a lot of the time. So, uh, you know, if he stays healthy and uh, he uh, bonds well with uh, the quarterback whose name we can say, Blake Bortles, uh, it, it'll it be a good fit for their offense. But I, I do think that they perhaps overinvested in him. Uh, remains to be seen. All right, so moving up to the receiver position, uh, give me a couple guys who kind of caught your eye with their salaries on DraftKings. Well, I mean, I, I look at uh, the top, and it has uh, Julio Jones at 9,300. Uh, Megatron at 8,500. Um, I'm not saying that's cheap, but uh, I do think that if Megatron stays healthy, there'll be, there'll be something of a correction, and in a few weeks, his name's going to be at the top. So maybe get him, get him while he's not uh, at the very top of the, uh, the, the, the wideout list. But then I, then I look down the list a little bit. I see Amar- Amari Cooper, Brandon Marshall in the $6,600 $6, range. Looks good to me. Andre Johnson, well, he's not in his prime anymore, but uh, who's his quarterback? Andrew Luck. Yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, in that offense, uh, if he bonds well with uh, Luck, there's a definite uh, bounce-back potential. He's at 6,100. And then uh, a couple guys that we talked about earlier in the uh, podcast, Kevin White, 5,000. That strikes me as a pretty good bargain if he's healthy to start the season. And uh, Tavon Austin, 3,300. you know, for your for your last receiver, if you you know spend tons of money at other positions, it's worth it, worth a dart, I suppose. Right, that's almost a minimum salary for yeah. Tavon Austin, so I think yeah, it's more than worth a flyer. Um, Honestly, when I got to that price range, Nick, in the receiver department, there was just a lot of guys that between now and then, I think there's going to be some players in the three to four thousand range that are like, okay, he's starting, 
and it's good offense and it's worth it. It's worth a dart. Uh, so yeah, definitely keep an eye at that, that, that lower level, uh, receiver price range to see how some job battles pan out because there's going to be some bargains in that category. One thing that stuck out to me was both Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb are in the top eight um, in terms of salary on DraftKings. And, of course, again, this does not include any Patriots or Steelers. You'd like to think Martavis Bryant is going to be in there. I mean, as great as the Packers are, like, not, you know, one guy can't catch all the balls. I mean, there's just not enough balls to go around in the, uh, you know, in in, in target-wise that uh, can, can feed, like, two elite options at those prices. Yeah, you know, maybe one one week Nelson will uh, uh, get you a good return in, on investment, and another week it'll be Cobb. But it's going to be tough for both of them to earn their salaries in DraftKings on a weekly basis. Yeah, and that's what kind of worries me about that is, you know, it, it's entirely possible that both of them could have great games in the same week. You know, when you have Aaron Rodgers throwing to you yeah. in that offense, it's very possible. But more often than not, it's going to be one or the other. And you know, we saw that kind of last year where Jordy Nelson was kind of the guy who ended up having the, the bigger games more often. But every now and then it would be Randall Cobb with two touchdowns and 100 yeah, plus I'm yards. not saying, like like you said, I'm not saying that that's, that's not going to happen, that they both have great games. But, like, when they're both at that, like, level of salary that typically goes to a, a you know, clear-cut number one guy, mm-hmm. uh, there's two guys that are that are essentially getting number one salaries in DraftKings and, and – uh, yeah, it's uh, that's something that you pointed out that's interesting. All right, so looking at running backs, um, obviously a lot of options here. As so many teams have seemingly multiple guys that they're that they're giving significant carries to. Um, one guy I want to talk about was Doug Martin. He's down at four thousand five hundred. Yeah, that caught my eye as well. Right? Is he is he kind of back in the mix here for Tampa Bay as maybe the, the go to guy to start the year? Well, I mean, he had that great rookie year, and he's he faltered over the last couple of seasons. But so far, the reports are that he's in he's in great shape, he's healthy, um, and I mean, Charles Sims is around as a as a sort of pass catching option out of that backfield. But I think that it, it's kind of a make or break year for Doug Martin, former first round pick, and from all indications, uh, Lovey Smith plans to give him the opportunity uh, to head that backfield. And when you look at you know. A forty-five hundred dollar price tag in week one—that's that's a serious bargain. Yeah, and I think, like you said, Doug Martin's going to get every opportunity to win that job. You know, like he's a former first-round pick. You know, he had the big year as a rookie, almost fifteen hundred yards. Uh, he's a former Rotowire cover boy, yeah, actually as well. So he's got that going for him. Um, and you know, teams don't want to give up on guys that they've invested so much in, and especially a guy who has proven that when healthy, he's a pretty good running back. Yeah, and yeah, I think, like you said, he's gonna he's going to get every opportunity to win that it's job. a contract year for him it is it's and a that, that doesn't year. always mean that you're going to get the, the player's best effort but uh if you're looking for that tiebreaker between him and another running back that's something to consider i guess exactly and they just have so much more you know invested in him is even just looking at that pick and you know it is already three years ago that that pick was made but you know they maybe you know they want to make sure that they're getting the maximum return i guess on that pick and yeah, I think starting Charles Sims just it doesn't have quite the upside that Martin does. Yeah, and su- suddenly that Alan, that that offense has a little bit more balance, uh, especially if uh, Winston doesn't struggle out of the gate. Um, you know, again with the uh, the 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 big six foot five trio of pass catchers, uh, promising quarterback. Uh, yeah, the uh, the Bucks offense could suddenly look respectable if uh, Doug Martin bounces back. Is there any chance that they're going to compete in the NFC South? I know that's a lot to ask, but this was the worst division in football last year, a division that it seemed nobody wanted to win until weeks 14 and 15. I mean, if, if 
New Orleans stays down, if Carolina kind of stays around the 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven mark, I mean, is there any chance that if Jameis Winston is maybe even a little bit better than we think he can be as a rookie that this team could creep into 7-8 you know, win territory? Well, anything's possible. Uh, I wouldn't want to put unfair expectations on him in particular. But, uh, yeah, there there is a window of opportunity in that division. And, um, you know, they've, they've, they have some decent personnel. And um, Lovey Smith has proven that he can get teams with good personnel to the playoffs. So uh, I wouldn't rule it out, no. Yeah, like you said, anything is possible in the NFC South. So we'll finish up with quarterbacks here. Um, give me one or two guys who really jumped out at you at the at the quarterback position. Well, when you see that Aaron Rodgers is the top quarterback at 8,600, and that's not really surprising. I believe Andrew Luck is uh, 8,300. I look down the list. You see Sam Bradford. Of, of course, he's dealing with the knee, you know, bouncing back from the knee issue, but he's at 6,900, and he's uh, going to be, if he's healthy and starting, he's a uh, He's the quarterback in Chip Kelly's offense, so there's there's something to be said about that. Uh, Andy Dalton at 6100, you know, with a with a healthy AJ Green and Sanu and Marvin Jones and e- Efert or Eifert, I don't know how I to say it. I think it's Eifert. Yeah, well, sorry if I said it wrong. I'm but, sure he's uh, listening. Yes, yes. <laughs> the uh, the waiting for that email for my mispronunciation of uh, of the Bengals tight end's name, but in any case. Uh, the uh, the Bengals have a nice uh, when healthy. They have some nice uh, uh, weapons in that offense. You know that you got Hill and uh, Bernard at running back. So yeah, Dalton at sixty one hundred looks like a decent bargain. Uh, I mean Winston at six thousand. That could be a fun one week play, uh, week one play. Um, Nick Foles fifty three hundred, starting for the Rams. I mean he's you know that's that's a low price and sometimes. That's that's where you get your value um, in in quarterbacks on teams that might be playing from behind, and you know it's not hard to imagine uh, every week looking at the uh, the price list and seeing some of the sort of bottom feeder quarterbacks and thinking, well, you know, this guy's one of the lowest priced quarterbacks, but you know he might have to throw for 350 yards if his team gets uh, beat up. Right. You mentioned Winston, and it's interesting that Tampa Bay ends up hosting Tennessee in week one. So we're probably yeah. going to get a Winston Mariota matchup right off the start. Well, we so. are, unless uh, somebody gets hurt. Right, exactly. And so, you know, you kind of look at both of these teams, you know, not great defenses on either side. Um, yeah, there's the potential there for one of those guys to kind of go off in week one. And I think I would lead him towards Jameis. Um, yeah, I like his weapons targets. better. Right, for exactly. Sure. You, got the, you have those huge weapons around him. You have an inexperienced quarterback on the other side. So that, you know, you don't often say you're looking forward to a – September Titans versus Buccaneers game, but that's going to be kind of one of the underrated highlights of Week One. At least yeah, definitely. Me. And uh, Mariota can get it uh, done with his legs too. So there's there's some interesting mm-hmm. upside there as well. Uh, what, how would uh, Roger Goodell refer to him? Did uh, Mariotto? Mariotto, Mariotto, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, that, that was one well, way that's, to start off. The that's draft. my that's my <laughs> attempt at uh, like uh, redeeming myself from. Um, the Bengals tight end mispronunciation debacle. Right. If, yeah, if Roger Goodell can go out on the stage and, and mispronounce Mariotto on draft, and I think you're allowed to mispronounce Tyler Eifert on a podcast. Agreed. All right, any other quarterbacks you want to talk about? Um, I mean, if you really want to dig deep, whoever wins the uh, the Texans uh, QB Derby, they're, they're at 5,100, both yeah. of them. The last guy I wanted to mention was Nick Foles. He's at 5,300. Yeah, so apparently that... DraftKings doesn't like that St. Louis offense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's I definitely see that as a, a potential week one bargain, for sure. 
All right, well, that's all we have for the inaugural Wednesday episode of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Again, use that promo code RotoWire when you make your deposit on DraftKings. Also, check out RotoWire.com free for 10 days by going to www.rotowire.com slash pod. Uh, Mike's been great talking to you. You and I will be back next week, Wednesday. Jake Letarski and Clay Link will be hosting tomorrow with more training camp updates. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.